Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. This episode of Out West highlights the work Western states and organizations are undertaking to strengthen and rebalance the state's relationship with the federal government. This commitment to federalism is reflected in WGA's policy resolution, Strengthening the State-Federal Relationship, and underpins most of WGA's policy work. Today, WGA Senior Policy Advisor Kevin Doran speaks with Matt Morrison, CEO of the Pacific Northwest Economic Region Foundation, also known as PINWAR, Edgar Ruiz, Director of the Council of State Governments West, Jonathan Sheffield, Associate Legislative Director for Public Lands and Liaison to the Western Interstate Region of the National Association of Counties, and me, about our collective work to protect and promote state authority. Gentlemen, thank you all for joining us today. We appreciate it. I'd like to start off with a question that will lay the foundation for our conversation today. Jim, can you describe the principle of federalism and how it pertains to the role of states and the federal government? Sure. Thanks, Kevin. Well, the genius of the American system is predicated not only on the separation of powers between the branches of government, uh, the executive, legislative, and judiciary, but also upon the division of power between the federal government and the states, otherwise known as federalism. And under the American version of federalism, the powers of the federal government are narrow, defined, and enumerated, whereas the powers of the states are vast and indefinite. And that's spelled out in the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which reads in its entirety, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. The main point of all this is that states are not stakeholders. They are sovereigns with inherent powers, uh, delegated authorities, and historic areas of responsibility. And governors want to operate as authentic partners with their federal counterparts. And the realization of that goal demands that the federal government consult, truly consult, with states whenever it contemplates an action that affects or implicate state authority. And that consultation should be of an altogether different nature than the opportunities offered to the general public to comment on a rule. Rather, it should involve true government-to-government collaboration from the very outset of an initiative through its implementation. Thank you for that framework, Jim. Edgar, from your perspective with CSG West, how have you seen the relationship between the states and the federal government shift over the years, and why is this important to state legislatures? Thank you, Kevin, and thank you for this great podcast. A couple of things. One, the federal government has a large footprint in the Western United States with significant military installations, public lands in the form of national parks and forests, and management of critical infrastructure, such as dams, highways, and airports. This presence is coupled with landmark federal legislation, such as the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act along with key rulings over time, and which have expanded the authority of the federal government to many areas of governance in the West. And this has resulted in a web of regulatory overlay among local, state, and federal governments, who in many instances have shared jurisdiction while exercising sole or primary jurisdiction in others. And so that is very important because that creates tension in many cases of 
how governance on many key areas in the West. The second thing, too, is a lot of the major domestic programs across the country, like Medicaid, family assistance, transportation, are managed by state and local governments. However, during recessions, fiscal shortfalls and constitutional requirements for balanced budget limits limit the ability of state to maintain those traditional funding priorities, while at the same time, the federal government, who's able to deficit spend to counter those recessions, are allowed to expand initiatives and direct state policy when it is difficult for states to resist. So those are two key areas there that have major implications for federalism. And you look at that, especially when it comes to recessions, you look at 2008 and also you look at the response to COVID, where you're going to have a lot of federal resources that overlay with states. Matt, I'd like to get your perspective from an economic point of view as to why this relationship between the states and federal government is important and how the shift we're seeing has impacted things like economic development and opportunities. The overarching, maybe overreach of the federal authority in the Western states has had a huge impact. At the same time, during COVID, we've seen a gridlock in Washington, D.C., and to some respect, uh, failed federal leadership and subsequently greater state leadership and collaboration. When we needed PPE and there was no plan, the Western states all got together to make a plan, for example. There's been a, a real concern about the polarization of blue states, red states, especially in the previous administration, looking at the country that way. But I think that for economic development, it's vitally important for the states to have their sovereign authority and to be able to make policy that impacts their local citizens. I mean, this was the grand experiment of shared layered system of governments. And I know the founders felt government closest to the people would be the most efficient and the best manner. So being able to study what's happening in this ever-evolving intergovernmental relation system that we have is vitally important. Jim, same question, but from a governor's point of view, being the chief executive of a state, how is this shift impacting states? Well, it's, it's manifest that over the years, power has shifted dramatically to the federal government and away from the states. And the titanic size and scope and cost of the federal government attests to this new reality. And it's important because increasingly prescriptive regulations that issue from the leviathan that is the federal government often infringe on state authority, tie the hands of state and local governments, and dampen innovation and interfere with customized on-the-ground problem solving. And moreover, governors have specialized knowledge of their states and their states' environments and economies and laws and cultures. And that knowledge should be brought to bear on federal decision-making. The incorporation of state expertise in the regulatory process and true collaboration between the states and federal government are simply going to lead to better, more durable, and more legally defensible decisions. And we'll go down to the benefit of our shared constituencies. Jonathan, regarding the shifting relationship, in the context of the federalism legal paradigm, given county governments are, in most cases, considered arms of the state, how do they fit into this overall conversation? Thanks, Kevin, and I appreciate the opportunity to join you today. 
So counties, a lot like states, and as being arms of the states, as you mentioned, also touch every aspect of domestic policy, whether that's human services program, criminal justice, infrastructure maintenance or environmental law. County governments could be responsible for implementing various federal and state laws and regulations. As Edgar also mentioned during his answer, he mentioned how recessions can impact state budgets and lead to austerity measures at the state level. Well, counties can actually get squeezed by both the feds and the states in those situations because you can see the federal aids uh, to, to county governments or federal grant programs. You can oftentimes see them get squeezed at the same time that the state governments are implementing austerity measures. And so even more of those mandates are driven down to the local government level, and they're having to keep up more and more in those situations. And so you can see just on the economic side how counties assist the federal and state governments to meet their various mandates. In addition, I just want to say that I think the Western counties are in a very unique position whenever it comes to this relationship, because county governments are going to be responsible for maintaining infrastructure on federal land, for example, within the national parks or the national forests will have a heavy hand in that. They're also going to have a heavy hand in natural resource policy, serving as cooperating agencies, coordinating with the federal government when they're doing their various resource management plans. And so uh, county governments, again, just have a really unique role in all of this and oftentimes are delegated authorities by the state governments themselves to kind of step in and, and serve what a state would otherwise. Edgar, given the recognition of this shifting in the relationship, How are state legislatures approaching and responding to it with the federal government, and what are they doing to create a mutually beneficial relationship for the betterment of policy? One thing that we've seen over the years is an uptick in state legislative bodies establishing federalism committees or have added state federal relations to the responsibilities of their existing policy committees. So that's something that we've seen over the years, especially recent years. Uh, For example, Utah has the um, Federalism Commission, and one of the things that came out of that has been a federal land valuation model that's been aimed to assist the state in establishing a fair market value of federal land within the state for purposes of demonstrating the inadequacy of PILT money received from the federal government. Also, other states like Idaho most recently, they have been promoting legislation aimed at trying to curb some of the federal authority when it comes to vaccine mandates and others. But many of them really are just trying to have an influence in restoring a balance through their efforts, but also coordinating with congressional delegations, talking to their governors, and also engaging with the state agencies. Again, aiming to restore a much stronger state engagement in a lot of the federal rulemaking laws and agencies. Jim, do the Western governors have a similar approach to this shifting relationship? And what is their response in order to ensure a mutually beneficial relationship that is grounded in federalism? We have a long way to go before we really change the federal mindset that regards states as stakeholders. But in the meantime, however, I think we're seeing some incremental and encouraging progress. The Department of Agriculture, for example, is pursuing a shared stewardship strategy with WGA and individual states. And under a memorandum of understanding between USDA and WGA, we've jointly pursued specific resource projects in vegetation management, control of invasive grasses, and post-fire recovery. Federal agencies have also been cooperative and collaborative and supportive with respect to a number of WGA 
chair initiatives, including Working Lands, Working Communities, the current initiative of Idaho Governor Brad Little. With this project, WGA is examining the complex relationships between Western communities and public land managers and considering ways to make land management more effective and more efficient. Also, we're working to revitalize the task force on collaborative conservation, which will provide an effective forum for Western governors to work with the administration on resource issues like sage-grouse protection and conservation of public lands. Matt, hearing about state government's approach, it begs the question, how is an organization like Penwar responding to that shift, and how has your relationship with the federal government changed, if at all? Good Neighbor Authority has been a great example of a new shift led by the states. In our Northwest states, we have one example is we've really highlighted the importance of aquatic invasive species and the incredible damage they could do to our entire hydropower system. Over 10 years have finally gotten Congress to fund a program that now covers 12 states in the West and has funded almost $50 million in doubling our aquatic invasive species prevention efforts in the region. And this is hugely important for our hydropower systems, as well as fish and irrigation. But I think generally, what when we're looking at the CARES Act and ARPA funding, there's been a real push from all the states through Congress to make sure that this funding is equitably distributed to each and every state, and that the state legislatures then have some authority on how they're going to appropriate that money. And that's led to a lot of important opportunities for the states to uh, prioritize how they're going to invest that funding. Of course, every state is concerned about broadband access after COVID. It's a critical issue. But infrastructure funding, which is now coming down, is going to be very important. And I think the Congress has been very helpful in being used by the states to make sure their voice is being heard in Washington. Jonathan, in terms of this relationship, how are counties helping to advance federalism and the state's relationship with the federal government? And what are counties doing to optimize their own intergovernmental relationships? I think probably the best example of how counties have been working hand in glove with with the state governments is something that WGA has been pushing a lot for several years now, and that's the development of that baseline socioeconomic data. The states of Wyoming and Nevada have both worked with their counties to Put these reports of this information and this data together. And that data can be used to influence the NEPA process, most especially, so the counties can really provide some good economic data, some cultural data, and information on how specific plans that are being pursued by a federal agency can impact those various sectors within their communities. And that's really the kind of information federal agencies are looking for during the NEPA process from government partners. Additionally, the state of Utah has invested money in every single county, developing a resource management plan of their own. And these can be utilized by county governments during the coordination process with the BLM or with the Forest Services. They're developing their R&D so that they can have real scientific and economic data to show, you know, this is how the county goes about zoning and planning for these various outcomes. 
and it can then be rolled into some sort of a, of a federal analysis or a federal planning document and not only shorten that process, but really elevate the priorities and the voice of, of a local government or a state government. So I think that's a great example of where the states themselves have seen that relationship developing and have then turned around and invested their own resources in it. As far as how counties have been working with the further state priorities, some counties are actually hiring staff in Western communities or pooling their resources to hire staff to serve for several different counties to serve as a conduit with federal land agencies to really elevate that voice throughout all those processes. For example, Coconino County, Arizona hired a professional forester who can serve as that voice and really analyze Forest Service documents and provide good, detailed, and scientific feedback that can influence their processes. Well, it's clear that all of your organizations play a role in this dynamic between the states and the federal government, but I'd like to know about some of the work you're doing, perhaps some examples of successes you've had in strengthening the state-federal relationship, and how those successes are benefiting Western states. Matt, could you expound on Penwar's work? Thanks, Kevin. Clearly, uh, climate policy has really taken a a front-row seat here since COP26, and a number of our governors were in Glasgow. The Pacific Coast Collaborative has worked together to pass pretty consistent legislation on climate policy. Washington, Oregon, and California, Washington with its CAP and INVEST program is working even with Quebec, Canada. I think that the opportunities for states to lead as the laboratories of innovation is really being borne out in this case even over the last decade. I think that with infrastructure, we have worked a lot in this region to look at freight corridors and gateways, recognizing that just seeing one state at a time doesn't accomplish the critical elements of freight movement and mobility. And right now, with the focus and spotlight on supply chain breakdowns, we're seeing how important those interactions and the freight mobility really is. So we just were identified by the USDOT as a regional infrastructure accelerator to look at freight corridors, which I think is really notable. We have also been highlighting the election cybersecurity for our election system, which is thousands of overlapping jurisdictions that all contribute to our election process. And I think that's been shown to be a success over the last election. So these are some areas that I think that we're making headway. I also think that there's an opportunity for appreciating the dynamic relationship that states have, even in foreign relations with other countries. So You know, my organization really was very engaged in crafting the new NAFTA in really bridging some of the issues between Canada and the U.S. from a state perspective because economic watersheds here flow north and south. So there's a lot of opportunity going forward. But what's important is to recognize the value of the federalist system and how we have the opportunity to continuously evolve in our constitutional democracy. Thanks, Matt. Jim, same question. 
Well, first of all, the governors have adopted very detailed policy about strengthening the state-federal relationship. Policy Resolution 2021-01, Strengthening the State-Federal Relationship, articulates the governor's vision for a more functional state-federal partnership and provides a roadmap for how to realize that vision. Since the governors originally adopted that resolution some years ago, WGA has assembled a coalition of state and local organizations to elevate the visibility of this issue and to develop shared principles on federalism. We sponsored a state federal forum in Washington, D.C., and have met with countless congressional administration officials. And we've developed and shared recommended regulatory reforms with various agencies that would improve cooperation between states and federal officials. And we've promoted these and other recommendations with congressional committees and task forces as well. And we launched a Center for Excellence for Improving the State-Federal Relationship. That's an online repository of WGA resources on federalism issues, including case studies and correspondence, reports, other products of the governor's research and policy work. And listeners can find that information on WGA's website at westgov.org slash initiatives. Thanks, Jim. Edgar, can you share some successes from CSG West? Sure. With CSG, we're a unique organization because we're originally based national organization. We have an office in Washington, D.C., and one of its roles is really to facilitate communication between state officials and federal agencies, and particularly working with the intergovernmental affairs entities within federal agencies. And this has last, particularly in this last year, with resources being rolled out to deal with the pandemic, being able to provide states a little better guidance on the use of resources as well as regulations. Most recently, CSG joined other national organizations in calling for greater flexibility with relief aid, Senate Bill 3011, which will allow governments that receive funding through the American Rescue Plan more flexibility in the use of resources on important priorities like infrastructure, neighborhood revitalization, and disaster recovery. Another thing that we in the West that we're unique is our, our relationship both with Canada and Mexico. We have programs to bring together legislators from all three countries and being able to provide or facilitate engagement between the state officials and federal officials on issues like cross-border trade, environmental issues like waste tires that go between the U.S.-Mexico border, just being able to sit at the table and be able to influence those conversations, something that we've been able to do over the years. And lastly, which really is going to some of the work that Jim mentioned, is being part of this coalition, this Western coalition has been working over the years to strengthen the state-federal relationship and calling for more meaningful consultation and consistency in reaching out to states. One of the things that we learned through that process is how federal agencies are very inconsistent in the way they conduct outreach to states. And so being able to work on those issues is going to be a critical element moving forward. But being able to have a united voice among governors, legislators, and county officials and others is going to be very important. And we're just very proud to be part of that process. Thanks, Edgar. And Jonathan, what are some successes from NACO's perspective? I think a, a couple of successful initiatives that NACO has built on include uh, about a year ago, we unveiled a guidebook that we put together with the U.S. 
Forest Service. It took us about two years to write that. It's about a 70-page document, but the purpose of it is to really lay out the legal obligations that the Forest Service has when it comes to meeting with county governments, the documents that they have to consider that a county can produce, and the various roles that, that they're supposed to offer a county in the planning and environmental analysis process. But on our side, it also shows that the onus is on county governments to produce good data, produce good information that can actually be utilized by a federal agency. It's not enough to just step in and say, we want this. You have to show science, economic data to really influence the process. And so conveying that message has been a key priority for us for the past couple of years. And this guidebook has been very helpful on our end so that we can show it to our members and say, this is an example of how to engage. But additionally, the Forest Service has been very public about how the, even the chief has been waving it around as a very good example and a good document that needs to be used by on-the-ground staff when they're engaging with local governments. Additionally, we've had an MOU with the Forest Service for several years now that helps to really lay out the relationship between NACO and the Forest Service, you know, the main office in D.C., and how we engage on broader national issues. And that has actually been very fruitful, especially with the infrastructure bill passing. Even before the bill passed, the Forest Service was in touch with us about how they were coming up with strategic initiatives for all these billions of dollars that they need to invest in hazardous fuels reduction. So just by having that MOU, we were able to have that door cracked open even before the House passed the legislation and to have some idea on what we can communicate with our members on what they can expect from the agency. It's great to hear about these successes, but just as important are the challenges that we still face. Jim, from the governor's perspective, what challenges remain for states and the federal government, for that matter, to achieve true federalism, and how do you see those challenges being overcome? Well, progress on issues like reconstructing the state-federal paradigm is incremental, if not altogether glacial. But as we've noted, there has been demonstrable progress and some success And I'm encouraged that our collective message is starting to gain some traction. But one thing is clear, we're just going to keep at it, and we will never abandon the field on this issue because no one is more invested than governors in promoting and defending state authority. Thanks, Jim. Matt, I'd like to hear your thoughts from an economic perspective. Well, I think really the key point is that we have an opportunity to continue to shape this relationship and the states have to be working together to really impress on the federal government their sovereignty. We need to spend more time crafting rulemaking together and not in court, spending public dollars fighting against the federal government. I think the time is right to really be raising these questions and looking at local and regional solutions, because that's really what the whole system of shared governance was about. So this conversation is fantastic, and we need to keep pushing the challenges we're facing. This moment after COVID has illuminated a lot of gaps, and it's it's a really good time to be having this conversation. So hats off to you, Jim, for pulling us together, and let's continue the dialogue. Thanks, Matt. Edgar, what do the challenges look like for state legislatures? As Jim alluded, I think we've made a lot of progress over time, but there's a lot more to be done. The division of authority between state and the federal government is constantly evolving. 
on many issues that are being discussed at the national level. The state-federal relationship is a policy debate. You know, where does that responsibility lie at? And I think the future will bring both more cooperation as well as more tension. I think that's nothing new in, in our system of governance. With the pandemic and also a change in administration, there hasn't been much attention at the federal level on how to strengthen that state-federal relationship. And that's why organizations like CSG, WGA, PENWAR, NACO play an important role to serve as conveners, but also as conduits to Congress and federal agencies, especially those that play a role in the administration of our natural resources. So again, this is an ongoing conversation that all of us need to have and that all of our members are vested in, in the future of governance. Thanks, Edgar. Jonathan, from a county's perspective, are the challenges similar to what the others have described? Yes, they are. Many of those challenges are going to be very similar. Uh, you know, unfunded mandates, you know, the federal government stepping in and having a we know best attitude is, is a major uh, issue that county governments deal with. And I think the ultimate solution to this is going to take a, a culture shift within the federal agencies. And I think that we've seen some of that shift go in the right direction. At least I've seen that in the last 10 years or so since I've been involved in federal policy. When I was working on Capitol Hill about 10 years ago, I remember we had an issue with a federal land management agency and some local property owners. It was the sort of a dispute that on paper could have easily been solved with a couple of meetings. But we found out within the congressional office pretty early on that this agency's attitude was going to be very much my way or the highway, even whenever it came to talking to a congressional office. So knowing that they treat a congressman and a local property owners that way, we can only imagine what their relationship was like with the county government. But as Jim mentioned, some initiatives that have been directed partially by Congress, but also from the administration since then, like the Shared Stewardship Initiative and, and just neighbor agreements, have uh, in a lot of ways forced the agency's hands and forced them to really engage the state and local governments in ways that they weren't even 10 years ago. So I'm hopeful to echo on something that Matt mentioned earlier, that the, the infrastructure bill can give us some opportunities to really grow on this. With all of these dollars being sent down to the federal agencies, for them to be successful, they're going to need our help to get these projects done, to invest them properly, and to get real work done that matters to people. I mean, they're going to have to do that by communicating with us early and often, and also cutting back on the red tape that delays all of these projects and ties up important work at lawsuits like Edgar mentioned, because that doesn't, that's not productive for anybody. Gentlemen, I want to thank you again for your time today. It was a pleasure talking with you and learning more, not just about federalism, but what your specific organizations are doing to advance the issue across all levels of government. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about our ongoing work on federalism, please visit our Western Governors Center of Excellence for Improving the State-Federal Relationship at westgov.org slash initiatives. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss critical issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Matt Morrison, Edgar Ruiz, and Jonathan Sheffield for sharing their expertise and discussing their work on behalf of states in advancing principles of federalism. Happy trails, everyone.